Welcome back to The Landscape, your show about America's parks and public lands. I'm your host, Kate Gretzinger in Salt Lake City. And I'm Aaron Weiss at the Center for Western Priorities in Denver. On the show today, we are talking to filmmaker John DeGroff about his new documentary chronicling the life of former Interior Secretary and legendary conservationist Stuart Udall. But before we do that, let's do the news. I've got some great news for you this week, and that's that the Biden administration has officially protected a 10-mile buffer zone around Chaco Canyon from oil and gas drilling. Technically, the administration has enacted a 20-year mineral withdrawal in the buffer zone, which covers over 330,000 acres surrounding Chaco Culture National Historical Park. This is a huge win for Pueblos and other tribes that have been advocating for better protection of Chaco Canyon for over a decade. It also follows a two-year period in which the Interior Department studied the consequences of a withdrawal on energy production and held listening sessions to solicit feedback from tribal leaders and members of the public. And the withdrawal is largely supported by New Mexicans. Almost 60% said they support the creation of a 10-mile buffer zone, according to CWP's 2022 Winning the West survey. In somewhat related news, the Antiquities Act has a birthday coming up on June 8th. Passed in 1906, the Act authorizes presidents to protect historic landmarks or objects of scientific interest on public lands as national monuments. The Antiquities Act grew out of a movement to preserve archaeological resources in the Southwest, including Chaco Canyon, which an early white explorer, Richard Wetherill, actually claimed as his homestead. That led directly to the passage of the Antiquities Act, which Teddy Roosevelt used to protect Chaco Canyon as a national monument in 1907. Since then, the Antiquities Act has been used by presidents from both parties to protect iconic landscapes, including the Grand Canyon, Zion National Park, Grand Teton, many, many others. True. And Stuart Udall, who served as Interior Secretary under JFK and LBJ, convinced Kennedy to use the Antiquities Act to designate Russell Cave National Monument in Alabama and Buck Island Reef National Monument in the Virgin Islands. He later pushed Johnson to extend the boundaries of the original Grand Canyon National Park to include two other national monuments to make up the park we know today. We'll talk more about that in our interview. John DeGraff has been producing and directing PBS documentaries for 45 years, 32 of which he spent at KCTS, the Seattle PBS affiliate. He's the producer and director of a new documentary about former Interior Secretary Stuart Udall, titled Stuart Udall and the Politics of Beauty. The film recounts Udall's life and illustrates the impact he had on conservation in the West. John, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. So let's start off with, um, I think, kind of the obvious question, how did a boy from St. John's, Arizona, end up working as the interior secretary for John F. Kennedy? Well, a couple of things. He was a lawyer and, and he was also a Westerner. And at least in those days, almost all interior secretaries were Westerners because that's where the public lands were, uh, BLM lands, and the national parks, monuments, and so forth. So it was traditional to pick a Westerner for that job. Um, Secondly, Stuart Udall really helped John F. Kennedy get elected. He uh, got Arizona's, all Arizona's convention delegates to vote for Kennedy against Lyndon Johnson when they were running uh, in the Democratic, uh, for the Democratic nomination. So Kennedy owed him one in a sense. So where did his passion for conservation come from? It's not necessarily an obvious thing growing up in a, a small Mormon town near the Arizona-Mexico border. 
Well, he spent a lot of time in the nearby White Mountains, which aren't far from St. John's, Arizona. They're a beautiful area, Ponderosa Pines, peaks, wonderful running trout streams and so forth. And that's what he really loved. He said that, uh, you know, if, uh, a little time spent in those mountains and in that area hooked him on wilderness for life. And uh, he was uh, always loved the out of doors when he moved to Tucson, for example. He spent a lot of time hiking in the Tucson mountains. And when he was an attorney there, he would try to go for a good hike before uh, by dawn uh, in the mountains before starting his legal work each day. So he had fallen in love with uh, the Western mountains, both the pine clad peaks and the, and the, the more deserty peaks around Tucson. One of the stories early on in the, in the, documentary that I hadn't realized is that after World War II, both he and his brother Mo were in Tucson, and they couldn't agree between the two of them which one was going to run for Congress first. How, how did that come about, and how did how did Stuart end up being, uh, I guess, the first one out of the gate? Well, Stuart was older by two years, and I think Mo just uh, uh, accepted that he would defer to his uh, older brother uh, on that one. So, uh, they both wanted it, and Mo got it eventually because once Stu became Interior Secretary, Mo was elected to his seat. So then he got he got the seat. But um, you know, the the two guys together when they were together at the University of Arizona were very committed to political things and especially to civil rights and uh, for one thing, integrating uh, the University of Arizona, which they successfully did because they were star basketball players. And the University of Arizona cafeteria was segregated, but the Udalls brought black friends to the cafeteria with them saying, hey, this isn't acceptable. And the university uh, changed its rules. So we'll get back to the civil rights um, question in a in a bit. But um, before that, let's talk about Udall's tenure under um, Kennedy, which, of course, was cut short by his assassination. But before that occurred, what did Udall accomplish as Interior Secretary under JFK? Well, Canyonlands National Park, well, that actually was finally signed into law by Johnson, but uh, really worked on during Kennedy, and Kennedy helped him with that. Several national seashores, especially Cape Cod and Point Reyes, were the big ones. Uh, he got a lot of things rolling on uh, early versions of the Clean Air and Clean Water Act, for example. But most of his successful legislation, frankly, came under Lyndon Johnson, um, and there's some good reasons for that. But much of what uh, he was able to accomplish under Kennedy was just to get people much more aware of these things, to call attention to people like Rachel Carson, uh, to to write a book about conservation, to bring in some of the best minds, and also to do things like bring arts and culture uh, events into the White House and so forth, which were kind of surprised everybody because he was seen as this out there, Western guy from the middle of nowhere, and here he is bringing all the poets and artists to D.C. After Kennedy's assassination, it was not at all a given that he would stay on as LBJ's interior secretary, especially since he had been such a, a Kennedy supporter during the race in 1960. What was that, that conversation like? And as it turned out, what was their, their working relationship like over, over the next six years? 
Well, initially, right after Kennedy's death, Johnson kept all the cabinet on. But then after he was reelected in 64, he had to make a decision about who he was to keep on. And so he talked to Udall and he kind of teased him a bit about having been a Kennedy man and said, you know, what do you say about this? And Udall said that he, he believed Johnson would be a good president. He, he really supported him. And Johnson said, well, stay on there. I want you. Uh, Johnson approved of Udall's activities of his interest in uh, uh, public lands and all those things. Johnson had a particular personal interest in nature. He grew up on a ranch in, in Texas. He was very connected to the natural world, as was his wife, Lady Bird, who was a big supporter of Udall. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, so together that led to uh, Johnson keeping him on. And they had, generally speaking, until the very end, a wonderful working relationship uh, of getting things done because uh, Stewart cultivated Lady Bird and uh, they went on a trip together around the West. He then persuaded Lady Bird that she should make a name for herself as a conservationist through a beautification campaign, which she did, which was very well known and famous. And so um, Johnson Johnson liked what Udall uh, was doing and, and uh uh, I don't want to go into to what caused the, the rift between them at the very end, but but uh, up until that time, up until really the end of 1968, they were on the same page and really working together. So I want to stop here before we go ahead and just mention some of the legislation um, and conservation actions that occurred under Johnson that were really championed by Stuart Udall. Um, they include the creation of Redwoods, North Cascades, and Canyonlands National Parks, as well as the National Scenic Trail System and the Wild and Scenic Rivers Systems. And then Udall also championed the Wilderness Act, the creation of the Land and Water Conservation Fund, and the Endangered Species Act, all of which were signed into law on, um, by LBJ. So you mentioned how he got to Lady Bird and sort of convinced her to become a conservationist and how that helped. But Talk about the politics at the time. Why was why was he so successful um, moving Congress to take up this conservation agenda? Well, Kennedy's death, horrible as it was, had a positive effect in terms of unifying the country, of making people say, we can't be so polarized. We can't have this hostility. We have to work together for the common good. And the common good in those days in many ways did mean conservation and parks and things because the population was growing rapidly. Um, the cities were exploding. The automobile made it possible to get to places that people had trouble getting to before. There was growing affluence so people could get to these places. And so there was a great uh, public sentiment in favor of creating these various parks and wilderness areas and so forth. Now, there was also opposition from vested interests, but but uh, with Johnson's support and Lady Bird's support uh, and the support of much of Congress, Udall was able to get these things through. He had opposition from Southern Democrats, particularly, who really didn't like his support for civil rights, for example. But he also had great support from many Northern liberal Republicans in those days. In fact, his strongest supporter in Congress was a man named John Saylor, representative from Pennsylvania, who was really about preserving uh, nature and parks and, and wilderness, and would often clash with with um, Wayne Aspinall, a congressman from Colorado, who was a Democrat, but very resource-oriented. Uh, and he, Aspinall, was opposed to the Wilderness Act, various kinds of things. Although in the end, Aspinall came, came around and the spirit of goodwill prevailed. 
Um, you, you also, I think that this is a subtle theme in your film, but it's in the title, The Politics of Beauty. Um, what does that term mean and how did that play into um, sort of the the Johnson support for, for Udall's agenda? Well, I think Johnson, Udall, Lady Bird in particular were very uh, motivated by natural beauty. They were very attracted to it. It meant a lot to them, the spiritual values of it, the uh, health values of it, and all of those kinds of things. And so Udall believed that focusing on beauty and on the, the world of nature uh, would be something that could bring to people together. And I think he was, he was right about that. And I think that's still very true. Uh, Udall had a complex sense of beauty. It was not just pretty things. It was, uh, you know, preserving uh, wild nature. It was um, the arts. It was gracefulness of living and conversation and manners and so forth. Um, it was compassion and care for others. It was urban ar architecture and how we build our cities. All of that was part of Udall's sense of, of uh, beauty. And uh, it, it kind of corresponds with the Navajo term kojo, which uh, it's also used, uh, they also say walking in beauty. And that, that whole idea is the same, that we want a world of grace around us that's, that's lovely, that's caring, that's kind, uh, and uh, that is in balance, that, that all of the aspects of it are in balance. So you'd all knew that that would work, and I think it'll still work. I'm still pushing now the idea of a politics of beauty. Um, my next book will be on that subject. Uh, and I, I think that it has a, a wide appeal. I see that from the audiences who see the film. A lot of the conversation is about that concept of the politics of beauty. People are attracted to it. I mean, all you have to do is go on Instagram and see the young people today and their photographs of nature, just, you know, so many of them. And so it's getting many of them out into, into the wilds and they want more space and more of this. And so uh, I think the politics of beauty still has legs. I, I want to touch on Stuart Udall's legacy as part of the civil rights movement. Obviously he's remembered as being a conservationist, but there he did play a big role uh, especially in what was happening in Washington during the, the peak of the civil rights movement in the 60s. Well, right. And when Udall came in as Interior Secretary, he noticed a couple things. He noticed, number one, that uh, he was a big sports fan. He was an athlete. He was a star basketball player at the University of Arizona. So was his brother, Mo, who also played some professional basketball. So they were athletes, so they loved sports. Stewart loved going to the baseball games and the football games, and he immediately noticed that the Washington then Redskins were the only segregated team in the National Football League. Their owner refused to hire black players because they considered themselves the South's team. And uh, Udall uh, asked his, uh, um, his own attorneys, he said, am I within my rights to tell these people that since we lease the stadium to them, the National Stadium is, is under the control of the Department of the Interior, that either they have to follow uh, uh, the, the rules of non-discrimination and hire black players or we won't lease them the stadium. The attorney said, I don't know how the courts will rule on that, but I think you're in your rights to do it. So that's what Udall did. He called the owner of the Redskins and he said, hire black players so you don't play in the stadium. And uh, it took a year. Udall gave him a year, but then 
they integrated. And when they did, the Redskins went from being the worst team in the NFL to one of the better teams uh, in the NFL. And it was suggested by the Washington Post that Udall might uh, well be named NFL Coach of the Year. No one had done more to improve the team's chances. Udall also found that the National Park Service was segregated, that the only black rangers were in the Virgin Islands, which is essentially a, a black part of the United States. And that upset him. He really believed that the rangers in uh, the park should look like America, especially with the civil rights movement going on. So he instructed his aides to go to all the black, traditionally black colleges and universities and recruit promising young uh, black students to be first seasonal rangers and then uh, regular long-term rangers if they liked it, if they enjoyed being seasonal rangers. One of those was Bob Stanton, who's in our film. He was one of the first, and he went to Grand Teton National Park. He later became the first and actually only African-American director of the National Park Service. And he credits Udall with uh, getting him into the park service uh, in the first place. So the other thing is that Udall was a great supporter of Martin Luther King. He had to approve the March on Washington because that was on federal uh, property, Interior Department property, the, the national monuments and so forth. And uh, there was tremendous pressure from the Southern Democrats to Johnson not to have Udall approve this march on Washington. But Udall said, no, 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 we're going to do this. These people have a right to protest. And actually, I'm with them uh, on this. And so uh, the march came off, came off totally peacefully. And it's a huge part of our history. I want to touch on his conservation legacy and the tail end of his time at Interior. Uh, he really pushed for the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act, which Congress passed at the end there, along with some, some national parks. But LBJ declined to protect 8 million acres in Alaska. So in that sense, was it Jimmy Carter that completed Stuart Udall's legacy? Or, or was it even Richard Nixon, who, of course, was the one who actually signed the Endangered Species Act, the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, Um how much did Stuart Udall lay the groundwork for those legislative achievements after he'd left Interior? Well, he did lay the groundwork for them. For instance, Udall was able to get an endangered species list passed through Congress, but uh, the act itself came under Nixon, but it had all been developed as a project by Stuart Udall. The Clean Air and Water Acts passed under Nixon were stronger versions of the ones that Udall had proposed and gotten through under Kennedy. So uh, Nixon carried this out with, with the impetus of Earth Day, the 20 million people protesting on Earth Day for action on the environment, certainly influenced Nixon to sign these bills, influenced Congress, influenced Congress to get these bills that Udall had been pushing for a long time through. So uh, uh, Nixon did finish a lot of the work. And Jimmy Carter, certainly on Alaska and places like that, really finished the work. Uh, you know, wanted this land in Alaska, and the reason he didn't get it was the one one big fight he had with Lyndon, and that was that Udall named the national stadium, the new national stadium, Robert F. Kennedy St Stadium after Bobby wow. And Johnson did not like that. Johnson, of course, didn't say anything bad about Bobby Kennedy, but when, after he died, but but he didn't like Robert Kennedy. He never did. They never got along with each other, and Johnson did not like it when Stuart Udall named the stadium after RFK. And in return, Johnson uh, really cut 
very, very small, the lands that Udall wanted protected after that point. Wow. Hmm. But he did support, he did support the Saint Wild and Scenic Rivers and the National Trails Acts. Your documentary mentions that before Stuart Udall took um, the helm at the Interior Department, the Interior Department was really focused on um, leasing lands for extraction and mining and drilling um, and grazing, of course. Do you think that Stuart Udall changed the ethos of the Interior Department or changed the way that future presidents and secretaries viewed their role as the head of Interior? Well, it always kind of goes up and down depending on who's president and who's secretary of the interior. But overall, yes, I think Udall made a very significant change, changing the Department of the Interior from being essentially a development agency, as more recent Interior Secretary Bruce Babbitt puts it in the film, to uh, one that was based on conservation and protection of our lands and our our rivers and our, our spaces and brought that ethic in, which was kind of a new thing. It was all about the money before and about the development. And Udall initially was also about much of that development, particularly when it came to dams. He was a believer initially in building dams, uh, but he changed his mind about that uh, during the Johnson administration. And, and that was an important shift for him. Uh, but yes, uh, uh, Udall did change the department. I, I think that's clear. And I think that Secretary Deb Holland, our current interior secretary, really carries on that Stuart Udall tradition. After his time at Interior, he worked in private practice as an attorney. He took up the case of the downwinders, people exposed to fallout from nuclear tests in the West. And he spent a decade basically losing over and over and over again in the courts. It, it sounds like that was a, a maybe a transformative experience for him somewhere, at the very least discouraging. How did... How did that time immediately after his his stint in in DOI change his outlook uh, as a conservationist and, and on, on the country? Well, I think you're absolutely right. Stewart spent did spend ten years fighting not only for the downwinders who were sprinkled with fallout from atmospheric nuclear tests, but also fighting for the uranium miners, many of them Navajos, but other uh, Pueblo tribes, uh, Native Americans, and others who were digging uh, the uranium to make the bombs that were being tested, uh, they also got cancer. So these two groups of people had huge cancer clusters, the downwinders and the uranium miners. And Udall felt that this was an incredible injustice. And he took up their case. He had already begun to be convinced that uh, our uh, the arms race, of course, was a terrible thing. He, he tried to help stop it by going to the Soviet Union in 1962 with Robert Frost to talk with Khrushchev about ending the arms race. And the next year, they did stop the atmospheric testing, which was a, a positive result of that. But Stewart just felt that this was a, a terrible result of war. And he had become very much an anti-war person in, in many ways. And he did lose. He won in many cases in the, in the local courts. But then uh, the higher courts always overruled him in the name of national security. So he had done 10 years and gotten nothing out of it. At that point, he, he said, you know, I can't keep doing it. I need to go somewhere else. And he went to Congress and he was able to convince Congress to provide compensation for the downwinders and the miners. And he himself got a little pay out of that. It probably amounted to minimum wage when you add it all up. But um, uh, he, he was able to take that cause more nationally and, and 
make it happen. But it, it really disillusioned him on government that these courts could do this, you know, and that this uh, so-called national security would be put above the lives of so many Americans. So you mentioned earlier that you think the politics of beauty is still very much alive today and that you are working on a book um, around that topic. What do you think conservationists can learn today from the success that Stuart Udall had um, in in office? Well, I think uh, I would say, so I think the cause of, of, uh, first of all, of uh, politics of beauty is still with us, as Secretary Holland mentions in, in the film. I think we really saw that even in the Trump administration with the, the quite overwhelming passage of the Great American Outdoor Act, Outdoors Act, which was, it was the most bipartisan act passed during the Trump administration uh, with the veto-proof majorities, although Trump did sign it. But, uh, and that was for funding for parks and for uh, trying to make at least fairly permanent the Land and Water Conservation Fund, which may be Udall's greatest legacy when we come down to it, because it has helped thousands of American communities protect open space, clean up their lakes and rivers, provide trails and things, and parks for people. I mean, it has a huge impact, uh, Land and Water Conservation Fund, and most people have not heard of it, but it, it's, uh, uh, so Udall, I think, use this concept that beauty is something that brings us together, that parks and nature are things that we all like. We know that uh, it, from our friends, that whether our friends are conservatives or liberals, they like gardens, they like flowers, they like parks, they like taking their kids out to these parks. That is not a, a Republican or Democratic issue. And so I think you'd all understood that you also have to take a positive spin on things. You don't win people over just by telling people how bad things are. The gloom and doom actually ends up making people more passive than active. And so he always wanted to be about solutions. Not that he avoided the other. You know, was one of the first, certainly was the first political official to speak out about global warming. There were scientists who talked about it before him, but no political figure was willing to go out on the line and say global warming is happening and we need to deal with it. Udall did that in the mid-1960s, way ahead of everybody else. So a lot of what he's talking about is still is still with us, those kinds of kind of issues. And the politics of beauty, I think, is still a way that we can bring together. I've shown this film many places. I've had people come up to me and say, look, I'm a Republican, but I really like this film. I like what this is about. I even had one guy tell me he was a Trumpy, but he liked the film and, and he wanted his, his Republican friends to see it. So I think this says that there is a, a, a way in which beauty and the politics of beauty can bring us together, can reduce the animosity. And, and Stuart was also very much about bipartisanship. He, he, his biggest regret late in life was how partisan and uh, antagonistic politics had become in the United States because he got along well with everybody. Uh, it's almost impossible to find anybody who's negative about Stuart Udall. Even James Watt, his polar opposite at Interior, once gave a speech in Aspen in which he said that no Interior Secretary had more integrity than Stuart Udall. So, um, this, this is it. I mean, Stewart has that kind of respect. In the film, Senator Gordon Smith, a conservative Republican from Oregon, former senator, talks about those things too, about how Stewart 
pretty abrupt and, and a cousin it should be yes, noted he is. he's a, uh, yeah he's uh, related to Stuart to Stuart's family yes uh last question it's the most important one uh how can folks see the film uh right now it has just started to be in distribution by bullfrog films uh it's bullfrogfilms.com and you can just put that in and Stuart Udall and the information will come up. Uh, there are DVDs available for personal use. There are uh, streaming available for, for both personal use. And uh, we hope that libraries will buy this film. We hope universities, colleges and high schools will buy the film. How about screenings? Um, I, I saw this at the University of Utah, um, which is how I found out about it. If folks want to set up a screening, should they reach out to you directly or to Bullfrog Films? They can go uh, to me directly if they want me there. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it. Otherwise, it's easier just to go through Bullfrog Films for under and look up under community screenings. Awesome. John DeGraff, um, producer and director of Stuart Udall and the Politics of Beauty. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Well, we started off with great news from Chaco Canyon, but here's a bit more. The Interior Department recently announced it's going to invest $161 million into Western landscape restoration. These investments are aimed at improving the health of 21 landscapes throughout the West to better provide clean water, habitat for fish and wildlife, opportunities for recreation, and more resilience to wildfire and drought. There are project areas in every Western state, including Alaska, the Bureau of Land Management has put together a great story map where you can learn more about each project, and we will link to that in the show notes. That's all for today's episode. If you liked it, please leave us a review. And if you've got questions or comments, send us an email, podcast at westernpriorities.org. Also, you can find us on all the social media platforms, including TikTok. Go give us a follow if you haven't already. We're just western.priorities. Thanks again to director John DeGroff. Go take a watch of that documentary when you have a chance. And thank you for listening to The Landscape. <laughs>